Well, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here, and uh, happy Easter. Thank you. You know, when I was a kid, this, this trend started um, where on Easter you would say, he is risen, and somebody would respond, he is risen indeed. Yeah, you heard it. I thought it was so lame. Um, I, I really didn't like the manipulation of somebody being able to make me respond. It, but I just didn't like it. You know, they'd come up, he is risen, and I'm like, yeah, okay, he's in. Yeah, right, you're, you're trying to make me do something I don't want to do. But then I matured a little bit, um, and I realized there's actually something really valuable about vocalizing that truth, about saying what we believe. He is risen, he is risen. You know, it's kind of a corporate, let's agree on this. And, and it, I got over that. It's actually kind of cool, you know, that we agree he is risen. He is risen indeed. Why is it that that's such a big deal? Why is it that for 2,000 years we have celebrated, the greatest Christian celebration has been what we now call Easter, but has been Resurrection Sunday, that Jesus rose from the dead. Why is it that true Jesus followers are so adamant that Jesus rose from the dead, not just spiritually, right? Not some mythical spiritually rose, but bodily rose from the dead. His body came up out of the grave. Why is that such a big deal? Why is it that we mark our calendars based on the life and death of Jesus, right? When I was a kid, I thought it was B.C. before Christ and A.D. after death. Um, but A.D. actually is, is Latin for, you know, in the year of our Lord. Now, of course, our culture is changing it. Now it's before common era and common era. But for thousands of years, we have marked our calendar based on Jesus. Why is it such a big deal that he died and rose from the dead? He is alive. So what? Right? That's a really good question. So what? Did, did, he, did he rise from the dead to make a church to make people religious? Right? Did he rise from the dead so, again, he could make these religions where people can get money and control? Why did he rise from the dead? We're going to be in uh, John today. We're going to look at that. Uh, grab your Bible. If you're visiting or you don't have a Bible, grab one from the seat in front of you. We'll be on page 991 um, in the book of John. Now, in the New Testament, um, different books are written primarily, they're, they're titled after whoever wrote them or whoever they're written to. So John is written by one of Jesus' best friends, John, he's the one disciple who wasn't murdered for his faith, but he was exiled. Um, so we're going to be looking at him. And as you turn there to page 991, uh, I told you last week that I like movies. And I told you last week my genre that I really liked was time travel. Well, there's another genre I really like, and it's kind of the, the action hero flick. It's the one where, where a hero or a group, you know, stand up against the tyranny uh, to fight for freedom. Movies like The Patriot or Gladiator. Or the best of all, nobody's saying it, Braveheart. I don't know if you remember Braveheart. But Braveheart, that came out when I was 16. I saw it in the theater five times. No joke. Uh, you know, I'd see it on a Friday, and then friends would call the next day. Hey, we're going to go see Braveheart. I'll see it again. I know it's three hours long. Who cares? Great movie, right? All about William Wallace uh, standing up for the freedom of Scotland. And maybe you remember the movie, um, the final, or the, the greatest scene, the battle scene where he and his you know, generals come riding up with the war paint. They're on their horses, and he, and he gives that big speech, right? And I could give you the whole speech, but I'm not going to because my Scottish accent isn't great. But, but he kind of he completes this big speech, you know. They may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. They're like, yeah, you know, hike up the kilt, run and fight. Well, people throughout history have fought and died for freedom. 
People today are still fighting and dying for freedom. What if I told you Jesus came, he died for freedom, he rose from the dead for freedom. Jesus rose from the dead to set us free. Legit, free. That's what we're going to see in John chapter 8. So in John 8, kind of to set up, we're going to be looking at verses 31 and, and following, but to set it up, Jesus has been talking to religious leaders. So these are, are the Jewish leaders who knew their Bibles really well. They were really legalistic, right? Uh, they tithed, they gave of, of everything. They gave of their money, and even like their herbs that they grew in their herb garden, they would make sure to give a tenth of that. So I mean, they were religious, religious people. And Jesus is speaking to them and telling them things that they don't like to hear. Right? And uh, like verse 24, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So Jesus is talking about sin and sin and death, right? You will die in your sins. Now, he's not talking about just physical death. He is, but also spiritual death, eternal death, eternal hell. And this was, was rough for these Jewish uh, you know, followers traditionally, of the one true God, Yahweh, tough for them to hear. But he says, you will die in your sins. Uh, he often said these things to spiritual leaders that were pretty offensive, right? He called them things like whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, you hypocrite, right? You're all white, but inside, you're dead men's bones. So, <clears throat> so this is who he's speaking to. And now he's going to give, in these verses, Jesus gives the conditions of discipleship and the result, and we're not going to take him in order, but let's start in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? Now, real quick, Context, he's talking about being a disciple, right? Uh, you are truly my disciples if you abide in me. Now, we're going to look at kind of the conditions of discipleship, but what is a disciple? You know, that's one of those weird that, words that maybe we, we hear, like, that's, nobody talks like that. Um, but a disciple was a learner. It was somebody who would follow a teacher and pattern their life around that teacher. So a disciple of Jesus is a person who believes in Jesus, learns from Jesus, and patterns their life around Jesus. That's what a disciple is. So often around here, we'll use the phrase Jesus follower, because that's what it means. A disciple, they know Jesus, they believe in all that Jesus is, all that, who he was, what he did, and they follow him. So that is a disciple. And the result of discipleship we see here is freedom. Verse 32, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, real quick, how do they respond to this? I think this is really kind of funny, uh, kind of interesting, pretty ignorant. Their response is 33, we are the offspring of Abraham. So they are Israelites, they are Jewish, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? I re I've wrestled with this, because you read this and you're like, do you guys not know your history? Do you remember this place called Egypt, where... You were enslaved for 400 years. And then after that, Moses leads you out. You get the law. You know, things are pretty cool. You get the promised land. And, it, and then you're there for a while. But then Babylon conquered you and enslaved you and pulled you out. And then Persia came and enslaved you. 
and now currently Rome is in charge of all of, of Israel, the land of Israel, and they are your lords, you're enslaved to Rome? So they're here, they're saying, you know, we're sons and daughters of Abraham, right? We're descended from Abraham, we've never been enslaved. You have too. You know, I don't know why Jesus doesn't point that out. But they're thinking physical, but Jesus is thinking spiritual. But my point in, in that is they are ignorant. They're ignorant to their enslavement, both physical and spiritual. The result of following Jesus, again, remember a disciple, the result of following Jesus is freedom. Yet most people are unaware of their own enslavement. To me, as he's teaching this, that is a big point. Because so many people, again, they were, they were ensla enslaved. They didn't know it. So many people now are blind and they don't even know it. But as we see, he's not speaking physical. Look at verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Again, darn Jesus, he brings up sin again. Sin is really the theme throughout all of this. Sin is what separates people from God. This message is offensive, right? You see Jesus here, he says, you guys are seeking to kill me. It is this message that's going to get him killed eventually. This is an offensive message, sin. So many American churches have thrown the word out. Ooh, let's not talk about sin because people might not come back. We, we don't want to talk about sin because, you know, it doesn't feel good to be told you're not good, right? And I'm here to tell you, you're not okay, and that's okay, <laughs> right? The answer is Jesus Christ, but, but sin is the issue. This, the whole theme, if you don't understand sin, you won't understand anything about what he's talking about. Sin is what separates us from God to begin with. Right? The, the, the book of the Bible, Genesis, the very beginning, begins with God creating everything good. Right? He creates, he goes through, this is good, this is good. He creates it for us to enjoy. But then, man and woman, they sin. They eat of the fruit. They're given one thing not to do. Don't eat of that fruit. They eat of it, and all of creation is affected. Right? Now we have tornadoes. Now we have goat heads. Now we have sickness and cancer. But, but really, like, it, all creation was impacted because of sin. But then we have sinned as well. Our great problem is sin. And so what he's talking about here, you know, he's pointing to sin. You're enslaved to sin, and sin is going to kill you, right? But they think they're free. This message is offensive then, and this message is offensive now. So I am here to offend you. Are you good with God spiritually? Are you free? Will you spend eternity with God in heaven? Are you enjoying the benefits of his kingdom here and now? If your answer is yes to those, then I'm going to say why. And if your answer to the why is, well, I'm American, so of course I'm a Christian. Wrong answer. If your answer is, well, I grew up in church, that's not good enough. If your answer is, well, my parents were Methodist or Episcopalian, whatever, you hear that one too. Well, my parents were Christian, so I must be born into it. That's not how it works. Go out on the street and ask somebody, are you going to heaven or not? Most will say yes. And you say, why? Most will say, because I'm a good person. The Bible makes pretty clear, you're not a good person. Jesus is telling these religious leaders they're going to die in their sin. They were way better than most of us. 
I mean, honestly, with their religion and their, all these things, they were really good. And so none of that will work. You know, we, we know there's an issue. I mean, we, just, we just know it. We know something is not right. The problem is sin. But the world gives different answers. And, and here's the thing is Jesus is talking to religious leaders. And the problem with them was it was the blind leading the blind. It was the people that were dying in their sin trying to lead others spiritually. And we have that rampant in our country, around the world. I mean, it's, not, it, it's everywhere. But the biggest one for me right now, I think, is I look at our society and culture, is the, the world of psychotherapy. Because that's the answer for most people for almost I just need to go see someone. I need to go to a therapist. And I'm not against therapy, but I am against unbiblical therapy. Because you go there, and they do more damage than good a lot of times, because it's all about you. Right? Well, let's dig into you. You know, it's all about you. Let's focus on you. Oh, something in your life is not making you happy? Get rid of whatever that is. And so it becomes you, and actually that enslaves even deeper. Again, I'm not anti-therapy. I am pro. We need more Christian therapists. We need more Christians that know the Bible, love Jesus, because the, the answer can only be Jesus. We have all these blind people saying, go this way. Okay, sounds good. Woo! And you both fall off the cliff. Right? And that's what was happening with these Jewish leaders. They're, they're leading people the wrong way, and that goes on and on and on throughout history. Again, we're not special right now that we have all these other ways. Satan has always done this. There's all these other ways to go, all apart from Jesus. But here, only Jesus sets a person free. Only Jesus. Now, who's the slave? What's it say here? The slave is the person that practices. This is verse 34. I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Uh, that is well translated, that word practice. Because when we're saved, when we surrender to Jesus, Jesus says he'll set free. We are set free from the penalty for sin, which is e eternal. We're set free from the power of sin, meaning we don't have to be controlled by it anymore. But we're not yet set free from the presence of sin. Meaning we still live in these bodies, we can still be tempted to sin, we can still sin. This word practice really is talking about a habitual life, right? That the life is defined by sin. And by the way, all of us have been there. So there's no pride for the Christian. Oh, we found our way out because we're so smart. No, you're not. If you found your way out, it's because of God's grace, right? But, but sin consumes freedom only found in Jesus. I like this quote from Merrill C. Tenney. It says, sin enslaves because every act of disobedience to God creates an atmosphere of alienation and a trend to further disobedience that inevitably makes escape impossible. The word in that, that quote that sticks out is impossible to me. And it's true because all of us were born into sin. All of us were born enslaved to sin and escape was impossible. If any of us were set free, it was by a miracle because of God's sacrifice. So I want to think, like, think about yourself right now. Are you like these Jewish leaders? Are you like who he's talking to? Are you enslaved and you don't even know it? Again, I think one of our, our biggest missions as a church and as believers is to help people realize they're not okay, right? I mean, that's the biggest, realize, oh, I, I have an issue. Now you can search for the solution. So I ask, are you free or are you enslaved? We have so many things that enslave us. We have these chains that bind us. And again, we're born kind of, I think, with these cuffs. We're born with these on. 
because of our parents. But then, without God, we go our own way and things enslave us. Maybe it's addiction, right? Maybe it's, it's alcohol or, or some other substance and it, it enslaves and it traps and you've got that holding you down. How about this? Maybe you're enslaved to what people think about you. That's why you're on TikTok so much or Facebook. You really care about what others, you want to post up. How many likes did I get? You're chained to your self-image, whatever that is, right? Uh, maybe, maybe it's your political ideology right now. I mean, the world we live in, right, we can get sucked in, so we're, we're scared, we're in fear for whatever it is, right? Right, extreme right, extreme left, whatever. We're scared politically all the time, and we're chained to that. We've got to check our Fox News or, or whatever it is. Maybe, maybe we're chained to money. We need our money, right? We need our retirement. We need our savings. We have all these things chaining us. We're working hard so we can build this up, and we have stuff, and we're chained, and we don't even know it. Are you enslaved and you don't know it? What are the chains holding you? I mean, I just mentioned a couple. And sin is a broad, you know, overview umbrella, but there's so many little pieces that enslave us. Entertainment, go down the list. What holds you, and do you know that you're in chains? If I do nothing else today, I want you to realize, if you do not know Jesus yet, you are in chains. But what does the Bible say? He could set us free. Now, there's something even worse. Not only in this life are we chained, but verse 24. He says, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. In verse 35 here, he tells us that the son remains in the house, but the slave does not. What's he talking about? He's talking about eternity. That if we are sons or daughters of the king, if we belong to him, we have eternal hope in kingdom and glory. We will be in his house forever on a new heaven and a new earth. If we are chained to sin in this life, we are chained to sin for eternity. If we are chained to sin now, we have eternal, the Bible is very clear, hell is a real place. Again, we don't like to talk about sin, we don't like to talk about hell. But that's the message. We have to know that until we can get the good news. And the good news is that Jesus rose from the dead, this day we remember, to set us free. Jesus is alive, so what? This is so what? Jesus is alive, so you can be free. And the person who is free, the Bible says, is free indeed. So what? Why does this matter that we remember what he did 2,000 years ago? Because what he did then sets us free now. And I'm talking about really free, legit free. This is really good news. Verse 36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free Indeed. I, I mean, that word indeed, he just throws it in there. You're going to be free. Like, seriously. <laughs> free. I'm not joking. Free. Completely. Now, we have a tendency as even believers, we're set free, but we can, we can kind of grab, right? We can go back to those things that used to enslave us. Alcohol, lust, I mean, whatever it is, you know, and, and we can kind of tie ourselves back. But because we're free in Jesus, it should not hold us. You know, maybe we, we chain it to our leg and we're pulling this weight around because there's that one thing that we just don't kind of like and we don't want to get rid of it, but it's holding us back. It's keeping us from all that God has for us. The one who abides in Jesus is a true disciple and is free. So we looked at the benefits, freedom. Now, who is the disciple right there? It's the one who abides in Jesus. They are the true disciple and are free. Look at verse 31. So the, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. So it says they believed him. 
as we see through and as we continue, they didn't fully believe. They believed some things, but their belief was not a belief unto salvation. It was not a complete belief. Because he says, if you're going to be my disciple, he says, you will abide in my word. What does that mean? You will abide in my word. That, that word abide, it's more than just a, a belief, right? And the word faith. It's more than just an intellectual, yeah, I believe Jesus died and rose from the dead because that's what I'm supposed to believe. This word abide, uh, it means to live. Maybe you've heard the word abode, right? It's like a house. You, you live in there. You stay there. That's your home. Our home is Jesus Christ and his word. Uh, in John 15, 5, he'll say, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So the picture there, you know, picture an apple tree, right? You have the trunk and the branch. And what's the branch do? It just holds onto the trunk. It, it remains, it stays. That's what abide means. So you see the difference here between our religious, maybe legalism, religion, and true discipleship and true freedom. A lot of time, religion enslaves even more. Sin enslaves. Religion can enslave too and give you all these dues. Abiding is different. The ESV Study Bible says it this way, to abide in Jesus... Uh, to, to abide in Jesus' word means to continue believing what Jesus has said and walking in obedience to him. Believing and walking in obedience. Now, this isn't perfection. Again, we don't want to go to religion and legalism. This, this doesn't mean you're going to always be perfect, but it does mean you have a new Lord. Right? That's what repent means. You turn and you follow. It means you want to go his way. And that is where freedom comes that is where a disciple is, not because we were, you know, baptized as a kid. Not because we go to church every now and then. Abiding is remaining. And let me tell you this. As you abide, you kind of become what the world would call more religious, meaning you do more spiritual things. You know, you come to church, you read your Bible, you pray, you want to get with God's people. I mean, these are the outflow of it, the outflow of abiding, but that's different than religion. In fact, over the next three weeks, our series is Religion, God's kingdom doesn't equal religion. God's kingdom is so much better. And that's what we want to look at. So, you know, bring a friend to learn about that. Uh, religion, uh, it's not what you think. God's kingdom. A lot of times, we, we, maybe we grew up in the church or, or, or had exposure to Catholicism or whatever. And it's like, ugh, there's just all this legalism stuff. God's kingdom is so much better because in it is freedom. That's what we're going to look at. But this is what we exist for. Why does the church exist? Why did Jesus die? We exist because he rose from the dead, and now we have the same message. As a church, it's written right up there on the wall, we exist to connect people to the abundant life only possible through an abiding relationship with Jesus. That's why we're here, to set people free. That's why every church exists at its root. Maybe sometimes we get confused and we miss it, but that's why we're here. So people can find freedom in Jesus. We don't exist so that I can have a job. Although that's cool, thank you. Um, but but we, we don't exist to just build this, we exist for Jesus, for the kingdom, and we exist. He did all that to set people free, to set people free. Uh, in our mission statement and all this, what, what is this freedom? We talk about abundant life, and I think that's right for us to do so. Because Jesus came, he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Again, he created all these things good. Remember, read in Genesis. He created this, and it's good. He created that, and it's good. You know, the only time he said something was very good was after he created woman. It's true. Look it up. 
right? Created, created, and then very good. He created all these things for us to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy this life. He didn't just create all this to make us, you know, religious and serve him and whatever. He created us so that we can enjoy all these things that he created and then move into eternity and continue to enjoy his creation. But these chains and sin prevent us from enjoying what he wants us to enjoy, all leading to his glory. That is the abundant life. Jesus gives this invitation. He says, come to me, all who weary and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon, me, uh, upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mean, I just love that picture. Jesus, we've got it so messed up so many times throughout history in the church of adding more burdens. No, I want to give you freedom. I want to take those chains off, those things that bind you, that hold you down. Maybe you don't even know it. And often we don't know it until we come to know Jesus. And then we're like, oh my goodness, look at all these things that have been holding me back. And he starts to break those chains and set us free. It is a beautiful, beautiful life. Because when Jesus sets us free, we are free indeed. When Jesus sets us free, we are free indeed. How is that possible? How is it possible that we can walk through this life with joy? And peace despite circumstances. How is it that, that we can have a, a financial setback, maybe a financial destruction, and continue to smile because our hope is in Jesus? How is it we can get that cancer diagnosis and rejoice? Because we're free. Because we're free to trust him completely. And he gives us all the things that we need. When Jesus sets us free, we are free indeed. All because Jesus is alive. By the way, if Jesus isn't alive, we're not free. If Jesus isn't alive, we're still chained to sin. And we're destined for destruction. But Jesus is alive. That's why today is the greatest day on the Christian calendar. That's why today is the day most churches are, are, have great, more people come than any other day. Because this is the day we remember the greatest and worst event in the history of humanity. The worst event, God himself took on flesh and died. Took on the sins, yours and mine. The greatest day, because that gives us freedom if we believe and if we will follow, if we will trust him as Lord. As the worship team comes up, um, I'm, I want to read in a minute after they get up here, I want to read just the account in John of Jesus' resurrection. But after I read that, and as we think about that, just listen to it with your heart open. Today is the day when we worship in thankfulness because we're set free. Right? Friday was maybe the day when we focus a lot on our sin. Today is the day when we realize we're free from our sin. It doesn't mean we stop repenting. But when we, uh, when we finish reading, when the, when the music starts and this next song goes, it's a time to respond. And so here's how we respond. We have three communion stations here, there, and up here. Um, and when we do this, this is for believers only. So if you're not a believer, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus as Lord, just don't take today. No big deal. Nobody's watching and judging. But if you've placed your faith in Jesus as Lord, come up as God leads, right? Take the cup, remembering Jesus' blood shed for you. Eat the bread, remembering his body broken for you, because that's what gives us life. And then enjoy, give him your sin, and receive forgiveness and freedom in him. If, if you have never bowed the knee to Jesus, if, if maybe this is new to you, or it's not new, you've heard it over and over and you realize, no, I, I am I've been focusing on religion or my goodness or whatever. I'm going to be in the back. Come talk to me, and I'll share with you how you can be free indeed. Or for whatever reason, if you want to talk to me, if you want to pray, I'm going to be in the back. 
But for the rest of us, as God leads, take communion. Now I'm going to read out of John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And he had said these things to her.